In my experience, there aren't very many, even though there are lots and lots of turnkey providers. And as you said, like bigger pockets in other places, you can hear about them either way, good or bad. So there are tons that claim to be turnkey providers. But what I mean when I mean talk about turnkey providers is what I call being under the same umbrella. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Dr. Axel Meyerhofer. Today, we are talking about turnkey real estate investing. We go through Axel's story and everything, coming to the US from Germany and then getting into real estate investing. Turnkeys are a pretty big, prominent topic in the passive real estate investing world. They're taken advantage of, they're used by many busy professionals, but a lot of folks out there don't either don't know about turnkey real estate investing, don't know how to get started, don't know how to mitigate risks that they perceive in the strategy and things, many things along those lines. That's what we're talking about today. The Good Doctor has built a portfolio of turnkey rentals and we get into why he chose that strategy, process he went through to learn about it and comparing the turnkey single family strategy to everything else out there in the passive real estate world. We get into all that. Maybe you'll be able to relate. Maybe this will speak to you in the uh, situation you're in. And maybe turnkeys could be right for you. It's your call. You need to learn and make the decision on your own. And that's what we're presenting today with Dr. Axel Meyerhofer, a turnkey investor and uh, consultant in the turnkey space. If you want to get started, he can certainly help you. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love talking all things passive investing, passive wealth generation. I don't have any turnkeys myself, but I love to learn about it and I love to help others learn about this topic. Maybe it's right for you. Don't know till you learn about it though. So thank you for tuning in. Without any further ado, here we go with the interview. Dr. Axel Meyerhofer, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Taylor. Thanks for having me. It's great to talk with you. Uh, we're going to talk about a, a lot of things here, turnkey real estate investing, your experience and all of that. Uh, for our listeners, would you mind introducing yourself a little bit and telling us uh, about your background and how you got into real estate investing? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Axel and um, I'm originally from Germany, which is where the accent comes from. And I came over to the US about 25 years ago with the Air Force. There was an exchange program where I literally became a US Air Force officer and uh, one of my buddies from the US Air Force became a German Air Force officer. And with that exchange, I basically got introduced to, you know, how life and, and things go in the US. And I got very close to retirement age when I couldn't fly anymore. And the question was, do we go back home or do we stay in the US? And we got used to living here. My daughter had pretty much most of her school life here. And so we decided to stay. I immediately got an offer as an executive in a software company. So there were all the things were basically falling in into place. And um, did the normal, you know, employee thing for five years. And um, in the meantime, went to school because in the military, I never had the opportunity to really get a graduate degree or anything like that. And then um, in 2005, decided to start my own business. And uh, yeah, I have been doing it ever since. And in that journey, there were different steps throughout that journey that got me more and more into real estate to ultimately get to the point where people encouraged me to 
you know, put my information, what I believe is the right way to go, what I did and keep doing and share that. And so people who are interested can engage with me. I can help them. I can introduce them to the same organizations that I work with on a daily basis. Great. Awesome. Appreciate you uh, bringing us up to speed. Now, uh, you had an experience related to or within the global financial crisis that brought you, I suppose, brought you into the uh, probably say accidental landlord uh, <laughs> experience, if I'm understanding uh, the, the history correctly. Yeah, you, yeah, you could call it that. Well, <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, the situation was that we were living in California in the Santa Barbara area, which everybody who's listening probably realizes is a pretty expensive area. And uh, with the economic crisis uh, overall, the economy was going down. There was a huge real estate crisis, and I just had uh, trouble to keep the business going, the consulting business, as I had before, especially because it was, I mean, from perspective now, only two or three years old at the time. Right. We weren't really an established company. So we were thinking, okay, where can we go that we had been before that we really li liked and live there for maybe less cost of living than where we were in Santa Barbara. And we had previously, due to my military uh, stationing, oftentimes visited the Santa Fe area in New Mexico, always liked it. It's an awesome, relatively small town, but really nice. And we said, well, cost of living was always more affordable there. And so we wanted to move there. We found a place really nice that may, in your questions later, actually come back up. But now we were in this situation that we had this nice house in Santa Barbara and the economy, the environment was really not suitable to sell. So we went back and forth and ultimately my wife and I said, you know what, if we can't sell it and we would actually literally lose money on it, which is stupid, why don't we rent it? And, and that's what we did. And so we became, like you said, accidental landlords in that way, even though that wasn't the first time that we rented a place, but it was definitely on a very long distance, right? It wasn't something where you could go before. The only other case we had was where we had bought a house and rented it literally like two streets over. Right. So that's a very different ballgame. I mean, you can attest to that today <laughs> than, than having it thousands of miles away. Yeah, absolutely. So there was a point in there, and I don't know the answer to this question, right? But there was a point in there when you uh, decided to continue investing in real estate or turn it up, whether it was going for turnkeys or something else. What was it about that? You know, what got you to take that next step into you know, becoming more of a uh, real estate investor? Well, one thing that I realized, and I think as much as the economic crisis or the Great Recession had that impact on that one property, it also made me ask, especially due to the struggles that we went through at the time with the business, if another economic impact would happen, or if I at some point would say, I want to retire how would that literally look like? And I came to realize as a small business owner, I don't really have something. There is no such thing like a 401k or things like that. And even though I learned over the years that there are a few things you can do for me, the question came up, okay, what can I do, right? In, in this context of creating some form of retirement income, now I call it passive income. And that really made me study, right? Like read books, listen to podcasts, all kinds of things, take courses and so forth, paid quite a bit of money for that too. And in the process really learned, okay, what is the stuff that relates to me? Because, I mean, you know this, you have your guests, you could be in apartments and storage units and, and uh, mobile home parks and uh, commercial real estate or syndication and so forth. And for me, 
I really related to something that I learned during my academic studies, and that basically is a saying from Horace Mann of Antioch University, was the first president, he said, um, in a way, I'm paraphrasing, you know, don't allow yourself to die until you did something good for humanity. And so I asked myself, okay, what does that really mean? And I always felt, you know, I know because of my military career, how it is to move from house to house, how important it is to either have a house instead of maybe an apartment or some other living conditions. And I wanted to turn that into a service, into how can I participate for families or people to have a good place to live. And that basically really started the whole thing. And with more and more research, I found out that things like performance are really, really important in investing. And I mean, on stock investing, when you watch the TV, everybody makes that assumption. Yep, normal, you know, if it increases as much as possible, I make a killing. But what does that mean in real estate? And so for me, that basically triggered the whole turnkey out-of-state residential real estate investing. I totally agree that once you kind of get in, go down the real estate rabbit hole, you find out that there are probably millions of options, or like you said, (laughs) storage, apartments, houses, all those kinds of things. But even once you pick the house niche, there are still a lot of things in that. There's turnkeys like we're talking about today. There's the, you know, burr strategy. There's people who bounce between houses and, you know, accumulate 10 by FHA loans and all of that. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Flipping, you know. Exactly. A hundred percent flipping. Absolutely. So why did you go, I mean, even within single families, why go turnkeys and not burrs or something else within the uh, single family niche? Yeah, I think the best way I can explain it has to do with what the original purpose and still to this day exists, the purpose of my consulting company was. And that is twofold. It had an education and still has an educational component. And the other major component is program management. Now, it's a pretty detailed, very narrow niche that, that I have been able to occupy in that. But one of the things that comes with that part, with the program and project management part, is that you develop a very high sensitivity to looking at risk in pretty much all kinds of different aspects and perspectives. And what I looked at is how can I invest in something that I can with limited funds slowly build and get to what I now, I mean, this is kind of 2021 uh, as a term called time freedom to the point where my passive income has reached a level that allows me the freedom to decide, do I still want to do something that exchanges time for money or not? If I love what I do, I keep doing that, maybe at a a frequency. If I don't, if I really just do the job to make enough money to cover my expenses, then as soon as I reach that time freedom point through my passive income, I can stop that. And so from a risk perspective, to answer the question, why turnkey, I looked at what kind of a situation exists where somebody is taking the majority of the risk and I only come in when the risks are very, very minimal. And when you, and we can talk about this if you like, when you ask me what are the criteria that I apply for what turnkey would I even work with and what are the specific things that I put in the contract, you will see that they're all risk mitigation efforts. And that's part of and the, probably the main reason why we ended up with that strategy. Nice. I like it. I think, uh, Return on time is a huge factor that not enough uh, folks consider. And 
risk mitigation, sticking with the, the topic of turnkeys, by your assessment, uh, you've kind of determined them to be a lower risk asset class, it sounds like. But you know, if you spend if you spend enough time on the bigger pockets forums or on YouTube, I'm not gonna say any names, but there are horror stories about turnkey providers. Uh, right, that I'm I'm sure you're aware of. And oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, you've got something, some strategy, right, to mitigate risk even when you're acquiring turnkeys. So, you know, let's dive into that. How do you, you know, when you get a, a list of turnkey properties or a provider, how do you mitigate risk or at least perceived risks risk in your investments? Well, the most important thing is, in my view and in my experience, that you look for turnkey providers. And in my experience, there aren't very many, even though there are lots and lots of turnkey providers. And as you said, like bigger pockets and other places, you can hear about them either way, good or bad. So there are tons that claim to be turnkey providers. But what I mean when I mean talk about turnkey providers is what I call being under the same umbrella. And that umbrella is the first part, or you could call it a triangle. The first part is the turnkey provider finds what I call the ugly duckling in a good neighborhood. So for real estate people like a B or C plus neighborhood and takes on the risk by creating a scope of fully renovating their property from PEX lines to electricity to kitchens and bathrooms and the full gambit, right? And that at the end, when they turn over the key, it smells like brand new or like a new car or whatever kind of smell you want to associate. Smells like latex paint. Yeah, latex paint, exactly, or, or new hardwood floors or stuff like that, right? or LPV. So that's one part or one corner uh, of the triangle or under the umbrella. Now, the next thing is they sell it to you. And a lot of people poo-poo the fact that they actually want to make a profit, which I say they took the risk, <laughs> so they're entitled to make a profit. But the imp more important thing is as soon as they sold it to me as the investor or to any of your audience members as an investor, they also need to be the one who manage it. And that's where this dependency that is so important comes in and where very few actually do it. Because if you know, then you do a better and, and different renovation than if your only interest is to sell it. Because if, and, and this is part of what I mean by risk mitigation is, yes, I buy it and I may be paying a little more than other people buy a pay when, when they do like a flip or they do a wholesale deal or something like that. But I have a little bit of influence on the scope of work. I can say, do we do carpet or do we do LPV for the floors and stuff like that? Because I have that kind of a relationship. But the other part is in the contract at closing, they also sign a guarantee, a warranty, basically, contractually for one year that anything they touch in the renovation, which is pretty much the whole place, is under warranty from the same team. And they sign it gladly, the few that actually fit in this umbrella, because they did the renovation. And this is also conceptually, if you do this like 10 properties a month, like the ones I work with actually do, then you're buying, I don't know, 50 refrigerators and 50 dishwashers and I don't know how many gallons of paint and stuff like that. And you know every component of that you put in the renovations because you know when the tenant calls and says, hey, this thing, whatever water heater doesn't work anymore, you know that one that is pretty much in 90% of the properties how that works and what could go wrong. You could even do a diagnosis over the phone with the tenant because you know the thing inside out almost as good as the manufacturer. So for one, for me, again, risk is if, if I make them and they do gladly sign up for the fact that I want the warranty, 
that also means for the first year I can develop my reserves out of my rental income without having to be afraid that there are maintenance costs that I have to pay for. And that is this triangle that I'm talking about that is so important because when people say, why would you do turnkey? I always say the answer is really it needs to be passive. And how do you make it passive? In By number one, getting somebody to really pay attention on how do we renovate when we know that we then have to manage it. And the other experience over years that I have de developed is if you have a tenant living in a place for a year and you have a lot of new stuff that was put in, if it hasn't really broken within a year, it's probably okay, right? Because they use everything and so forth. And, and if something wasn't quite installed right or wasn't quite connected right or wasn't quite tightened down or stuff like that, all those things happen in the first few times of using it. Well, guess what? I'm under warranty for that, right? So those kind of things, those kind of relationships of the different components of the investment for me are the really important thing that make this thing passive, which I want it to be because I couldn't run a consulting company if I constantly had to chase after my properties. And it gets more and more as you accumulate more and more properties. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I appreciate that. We want to really dig into the turnkey provider with the knowledge that most so-called turnkey providers aren't going to get through this screening process of they need to be right, the ones exactly. doing the work, managing the property, and putting a at least one-year warranty on everything they touched with the knowledge that if it's held together with duct tape and bubble gum, then it's probably going to fall apart within the <laughs> within a year and need to be fixed. And Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and there's one other component. Think about it. Because there are few and far between. When somebody like me or any of the people that work with me get introduced, talk in one property. And, you know, that's kind of the same thing like working with a real estate agent one time. But if I look at the reality of my situation and others who, who do the same like me, you get the third property, the fourth property. I'm currently with one of my turnkey providers in negotiations for the next three properties. So as the portfolio grows, the relationship grows, not just in depth, but also in dependency. Right? Because they don't want to lose somebody who has six, seven, eight properties with them. Right? So there's an additional incentive to say, okay, if I have a good relationship, if you really deliver, yes, I may have paid a little more than a, a wholesale deal or a flip deal, but we have the relationship. It works. You have lived up to, to the expectation of no maintenance and no repairs for the first year. And yes, things, as you know yourself, can break after a while, but that's why you put reserves aside. Right, so that you can easily handle that and so forth. So there is a lot in this aspect of what dependency can you identify and how can you make them work for you? And I have found that you know there is no other model that I've been able to find where I can be a thousand, two thousand, three thousand miles away, and all I get is once a month, I get report that says, Okay, we collected the rent. Here is basically our management fee and here's the money that is coming to your uh, bank account and it works like clockwork and when you do it right a sign that i would like to point out if you do it right and you also have turnkey providers who know how to select tenants then you have a situation like me that through the whole year of pandemic we didn't miss one payment nice right That's awesome. because that is the other part how do you select the right tenants well if you know your local area which the turnkey providers that are worth the money do then they also know how to select the tenants. And in, in my case, a lot of, uh, I only have five, right? And so most of them, their product is known in the community. So people who are looking to get out of an apartment complex and into a single family or a duplex or something like that, they literally wait for the next property 
to, to get available. And I benefit again as an investor because I had cases where the tenants or potential tenants bid up the rent. <laughs> That's great. Now, one of the things I wonder, especially about getting into turnkey investing, and again, I, I don't want to get too far away from risk mitigation. It's just like physical due diligence, right? Because again, going back to forum posts, there are so many forum posts about this thing didn't happen and it turns out the property didn't even exist or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, is that, do you reach a point where you don't feel a physical due diligence prior to closing is, is unnecessary? I mean, a lender's going to do, you know, an appraisal and an inspection. Um, but you know, beyond that, what do you do as far as physical due diligence on the properties goes? I'm a big subscriber of the old statement, trust, but verify. And the verify can relax as the trust builds, right? And so what I did when I first started with, with all of them, basically, I went, and this is a while ago, but I literally went to visit the properties while they were still in renovation, which I actually, in hindsight, must say, if you have the opportunity, if you're considering this kind of investing or want my help with that, I highly recommend to actually see the properties in renovation because you see a lot more than when they just let you go through a finished product that you potentially about to buy, right? You see, you know, how do the beams really look like in the floor and which ones have they decided need to be replaced or fixed or something? And how, you know, do the walls look like? How does the piping look like? How do the outer pieces look like windows, doors, all that kind of stuff. And it even went as far. In one case, I can say my the property I love the most, even though it's the cheapest in my portfolio, which is the craziest thing, right? It's really crazy. But uh, we went in there and we looked at it and I looked and I saw that they had this kind of uh, dark wood framing around the windows. They had like dark wood French doors that separated the dining room and the living room. They had what looked like reasonably still good condition, real hardwood floors. And so I said to the renovation team, hey, is there any way that we can keep this character? Right? It really looked like a mansion that somebody let the air out and made it like in a small <laughs> mansion, right? like really with high-end fixings and stuff like that. And so they said, well, we would have normally done the normal thing, but you know, let us take a look. And then two days later, they called me and said, yeah, we went through most of this stuff is fine. We will do our best. Now, it didn't work everywhere in one place. They needed to replace the floors and stuff like that. But when you see pictures of that place and you come into the living room area and the transition to it, it looks like a micro mansion, right? And that was actually ultimately the property that performed better than 1% because everybody wanted it. It was eight minutes from downtown, and everybody wanted to live there when they saw, wow, this thing actually has character. It doesn't look like gray wall, white trim, you know, the standard thing that you see in every renovation. So, you know, that's the benefit of, of going there. And I oftentimes say to the people that contact me, think about it. Very few people buy a car, which is twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars dollars $50,000 without ever having seen it or test drove it. So then you're telling me you're going $80,000, $120,000 without even taking a look at it. How is that? How does that make any sense compared to like a maybe three, four, five hundred dollar airline ticket? And if you can squeeze it, if it's not too far, you might fly in in the morning and fly out at night. And if it's too far, then okay, you have to spend maybe a hundred bucks on 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 a hotel room. 
But so $500 is not worth to make a decision. Is this $100,000 investment worth it or not? Does it exist? Does it look good for me that I've never understood anybody who tells me I bought something and I never saw it. Now, most of my turnkey providers, I would say all of them, actually, all five that I'm working with, I wouldn't go and necessarily visit every property anymore because we have five properties here and three properties there and two properties there. And if they've been doing it for years for me, then, you know, it's basically family. I mean, we exchange Christmas gifts. I gave like Amazon gift cards to every tenant that paid the whole year and stuff. So that's what I mean by relationships, right? It's not just a business transaction. It's a relationship that you develop. And I think that's typical for any other relationship, right? Initially, you kind of got to know each other. And the more you get to know each other and trust each other, the, no, the less you have to constantly be skeptical when somebody says something to you. Nice. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. All right, Axel, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? All right. Sure, All right. Let's go. Good. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? The best investment is what I call the road deal. <laughs> and that is the house. Remember I mentioned earlier uh, that we would come back to that house in Santa Fe. We bought that and uh, moved into it and then ultimately came back to California when the economy recovered and then rented that house. And uh, about two years later, I get a call from my property management company that also happened to be the real estate agent and said, hey, are you aware of the road? I said, what the hell? What's with the road? And they said, well, the city decided to connect the little road that goes by your neighborhood with the main interstate uh, circumference. And now this neighborhood that was always kind of isolated is in super high demand. I said, what do you mean super high demand? She said, well you could get more money than you probably expect. And so keep in mind, I had gotten this thing for like 200, right? And I said, so what does that mean? She said, well, I guess I can get it pretty close to 300. And I said, okay, 100 grand in two years, <laughs> go right ahead. Right? And so we did. And, and she did actually, she, it, it didn't even take her a month, right? Like, unbelievable. So Awesome. And if you put 10% or 20% down, if you look at that uh, uh, return multiple, I mean, it's it's enormous. Yeah, it's insane because it was owner occupied. So I put ten percent down. And it was like, I don't know if I could calculate that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I was hoping it was going to be the answer to the first question and not the answer to the second question. The second question is: What is the worst investment you ever made? The worst is actually, and that is why, probably to some extent, I got into real estate. Um, while I was still in the military, I got kind of caught up in the dot-com boom and I invested steadily into stocks because I drank the Kool-Aid that everybody said stocks can never go down when they w did in, in a week and I lost $75,000. So that still pains me. <laughs> so Now, I always kind of try to tell myself, even though my brain doesn't want to believe it, I try to tell myself that that was all paper money because I got out with almost exactly the amount of money that we put in, but it was like five years of basically zero ah. gain. And it was on paper all there and it evaporated just like that. Right? And I, I, for me, that was why I wanted to actually mitigate risk and really find investments that work, that ultimately give a passive income, but also have a legacy component because I want to ultimately turn this whole thing over to my wife when I go over the rainbow, uh, my wife, yeah, my wife and then my daughter. Um, when when I leave the planet and and I don't mean to Mars, I mean like forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
then that is you know not that easy to do with with other investments and so there there are multiple components like that but yeah that 75 grand it still hurts me <laughs> ouch well moving on since then my yeah, favorite right. question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing well in business i mentioned it already is really trust but verify especially when it comes to contracts so you know ask yourself especially when it comes to purchases have i really read the contract right i mean there's so much small print and tiny print and stuff and and accept buttons that we are supposed to click but when it comes to the really important thing to the expensive purchases you know whether it's a car and with a car loan or a house with a mortgage or stuff like that i can only encourage people to really read the fine print because there's a lot of stuff in there and you're committing to it and you will be held accountable to it. So, and also, I mean, in the same vein, if you don't understand it, which is completely reasonable, then get somebody who knows this stuff really well, because you might be signing up for things that you didn't ever understand or that you get pressure to go and rush through because somebody wants to do a closing in an hour. People have accused me to be the worst closer in the world because I want to know what's in the paperwork, you know. Now they sent me the packages up front so that I have my time to review. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I'm, I fully subscribe. Maybe it's uh, a different way of saying what you're saying, but I'm more than happy to ask what I myself deem to be a dumb or naive question so that, Hey, maybe I either one, I learned something or two, I avoid signing on to something I don't really understand or anything along those lines temporary embarrassment is almost always in our own heads anyway and we can mitigate risks we can learn something and we can you know get people to uh just send us the contract ahead of time in the future yeah absolutely and i mean for people that may not necessarily be that 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 obvious right but just think about it for a second if the people that own the property for example that you're about to buy haven't paid the property tax for the last two years and the title company is just in due diligence writing in how much property tax is going to be owed by the end of the tax year. You didn't even see it. You just signed it because everybody's rush, 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 and they push one paper after the next to give you the 100 uh, signatures you're supposed to do. Well, suddenly you're on the hook for a couple thousand dollars, which totally blows your cash flow for the next three years out the window. So it's not just a theoretical thing. It can really practically kill your deal that you thought was a good deal just because one little entry in the fine print of the closing document. Take that time to understand and ask questions. Well, Doc, thank you for joining us today. If folks want to yeah, if folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, if they want to talk turnkeys, all that good stuff, where can they find you? Well, the easiest is just go to idealwealthgrower.com. There is a button there where you can get a free strategy session. You can also get our free mindset menu there. And if you want to get in touch with me directly, axel at idealwealthgrower.com and you have my email and then we set something up. Awesome. Well, thanks once again for joining us today. I think turnkeys are an awesome opportunity for many high paid, busy professionals out there who want to get into real estate, but think, you know, going out and starting to flip or any of those things. They don't want to be the guy on HGTV. They just want to own the property. It can be a fantastic option for a lot of people out there. Um, I have, you know, a number of friends that invest in turnkeys and when done right, it works and it can make money, but you got to know what to do, how to mitigate that risk, how to find the turnkey providers 
and all of that great stuff. Thank you for joining us once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people find out about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. We are also live streaming on YouTube. So go ahead and look us up on YouTube and hit the subscribe and all that good stuff Hit the notification bell. And you can join us in the conversation live in the future. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.